I invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me once again to the book of James. If you're visiting with us, we have been studying this short letter in the New Testament, found close to the end of your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, follow along in the insert that you have before you. Lord willing, we'll spend just one more week in James this year. Next week, we'll uh, finish out chapter 4 and then we'll leave chapter 5 for the new year as we will focus and turn our hearts uh, to the Advent, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in a couple weeks through the month of December. This is our 12th study in, our, uh, in, this, uh, in this short letter. It's been a challenging letter, I hope, for you, but don't forget, as we were reminded last week, of those five words, he gives more, uh, but he gives more grace. And uh, we focused on that and how we need those words as we've been challenged in this life of faith, in this journey of faith that we have presented to us here. You'll remember that James a couple weeks ago was contrasting true wisdom with false wisdom. And this morning as we jump back into James's train of thought, I want to just review for just a second. Uh, those of you who haven't been here, uh, this will be helpful for you as well as we enter into this passage this morning. James was contrasting the wisdom that was driven by selfish ambition that says it's all about me with the wisdom driven by meekness that acknowledges that it's not all about me. And one of the important, all-important heart stances that we talked about uh, being necessary in that whole discussion was this idea of the creature-creator distinction. God is the creator of all things. His ways are not our ways. We are creatures. We are clay in the hands of the potter. And this constant self-check in the life of faith, this remembering who God is and remembering who we are, is so important in the life of faith. In other words, James has been encouraging us again and again to live lives that are saturated with humility. And he's been camping out on this a bit, and speaking about how our pride so easily produces negative fruit in our lives. When arrogance trumps gospel humility, sin abounds. Whether it's in our conflicts with one another, whether it's in the imparting of wisdom, whether it's in the way we speak to one another, and so what were the last words that James left us with? Of course, this, redder, this letter was read in its entirety uh, to the original hearers. We haven't read it in its entirety. We've been taking it bit by bit. What were the last words that we were left with as we've chopped up this letter? Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So today, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to view it, James further fleshes out what this looks like in our relationships to one another. 
Now, originally, I was going to, <clears throat> my intent was to cover uh, all the verses that you have in your insert, verses 11 through 17, through the end of chapter 4. But this was one of those weeks uh, that as I got into it, uh, I realized that I could either preach a really, really long sermon on all of these verses, probably too long of a sermon on my intended passage, or I could preach a shorter sermon that stopped short of my original intent. And so, I trust it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure what it says about us that we need verses 11 and 12, uh, just 11 and 12 this week, but that's where we'll camp out today, and then 13 through 17 we'll attack next week. Maybe preaching a shorter sermon this morning will entice you that you have energy to come back tonight. So maybe that's what's going on, just to put a little, little seed there. Uh, Rev, uh, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, I'm just going to read the first two chapters, excuse me, first two verses of the passage you find before you. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. James says to the church, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? to judge your neighbor. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Brothers and sisters, this passage this morning is a passage about who's in charge. It's important to know who's in charge. Every time we leave our house, Anna and I, we feel the need to delineate again what the exact pecking order is in our absence. Who is going to have the final say in issues of dispute? Because believe it or not, conflicts and quarrels arise in the Hitchcock house from time to time. When we're out to dinner, we're frustrated that our order didn't come to us correctly, and we insist that we talk to someone in charge, someone who has the power to make things right, or at least to make things according to our liking. And most of the time, if we're honest, and James has pricked us with this over and over again. Most of the times, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I want to be in charge. We may not say that with our out loud voice, but we live that way. We certainly live that way. It seems to be the default bent of our flesh. Well, get ready, because this is a passage about not being in charge. It's the best news that you could ever hear. One simple exhortation to guide us through our verses this morning. It was going to be two, but I had to chop off the second half. So one simple exhortation. So kids, 
You're going to write down this phrase, but then you're going to think you can check out. No, you're going to have to write some other stuff down, all right? So I want more than one sentence on these notes that I get. But here is our first and only phrase to hang our thoughts on this morning. And it's simply this, let the Lord be the judge. Let the Lord be the judge. Of course, I'm just repeating what James says. There is one lawgiver and one judge. But he knows that we have a hard time letting the Lord be the judge. There's one word that appears both in verb and noun form in these two verses. It appears six times over and over again. It's the word judge. And it's a word that appears in the middle of a progression of thought. James says, don't speak evil against one another because if you do, you are judging your brother. And you ought not do that because there is one judge, the Lord God himself. And so I think this is where we need to begin this morning, not with the speaking evil, but with the judging, with this idea of not judging one another. And I think we need to camp out on this because we hear this a lot in our day and age. In our culture of of tolerance and quote-unquote love, even in the church at times. Christians are are so judgmental. Why can't you guys just love me the way that I am? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Don't, Don't judge me. Jesus wouldn't judge me. You ever hear anything like that? You ever pick anything like that up? Indeed, it's not James that says, Don't judge, it's Jesus too. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus told his followers, judge not that you be not judged. And so my question for us this morning is, is, are they right? Is is the world right? are, Are those pockets of the evangelical church that criticize judgmental Maybe reform believers, or you fill in the blank. Is judging of any kind flat out wrong? Is that what James is talking about? Does speaking evil mean that we ought to be leaving people alone? Leaving their behavior alone? Well, the short answer, brothers and sisters, is no. That's not what James is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. This view that all judgment is wrong is one of the misunderstood interpretations of Scripture and of Jesus' words. Two things I want to point out to you in this passage, in these two verses. First of all, remember, remember that this was written to the church Even in the midst of this exhortation, the midst of these two verses, he says the word brothers three times. This context is clearly the people of God. 
He's addressing something that's happening in the local church. Now, that doesn't mean that there are completely different rules for those in the household of faith when it comes to judgment. But it does mean that speaking to someone in this family, in this spiritual family, is not the same as speaking to your neighbor. It's not exactly the same. We'll come back to that. But secondly, the rest of Scripture teaches us clearly that there is a time for judgment. Not for a final judgment. Not of condemning someone to hell. That is never appropriate. It's, it's for this reason that the phrases go to hell or, or damn you ought never roll off our lips. Now those are just cultural phrases that we throw around, but they mean something because they're casting judgment, eternal destiny upon someone. You have no right to do that. But there are times when we as believers ought to come to conclusions and make decisions. In Matthew 7, after Jesus says to his followers not to judge, he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. In other words, you'll be able to judge them by their fruits. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault. Paul told the church in Rome at the end of his letter, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And then James, in this very letter, and we'll get to it in the next chapter, James will write, if anyone wanders from the truth and brings someone back, He will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, James is not saying here that we aren't to be discerning. He is not saying here that we aren't to be calling one another out on sin that we see in each other's lives. That's not what he's saying when he says, let the Lord be the judge. Taken in the context of where we've been in this letter, and with the rest of Scripture, what James is condemning seems to be much more than just words. The words matter. What James is condemning seems to be a heart stance. A heart stance. You see, you can say true things to people. But that doesn't mean that you should have said those things to someone. Maybe someone else is in a better position to speak to them. Maybe now isn't the time to speak to them. What is your motive behind wanting to say something now? How are you using that truth? There are a host of things to consider when we speak to and about one another, but it all comes back to this, a posture of love and humility. I was reading a sermon this week and I heard this quote, slander and judging is to use the truth to punish rather than to redeem. 
Let me repeat that. Slander and judging is to use the truth to punish rather than to redeem. And as we've seen already, James's church, the church James is writing to, is struggling to love. Right? They are excluding some, or at least looking down on them when they come in, giving them the back seat. Their tongues are criticizing one another. And then here, they're, t- they're talking about one another. They're speaking evil. They're slandering. They're eagerly fault-finding. They're critiquing the weaknesses and failures of one another as if it were some kind of spiritual gift in the church. They're likely not giving anyone, particularly their brothers and sisters in the faith, the benefit of the doubt. But instead, they're just quick to harshly condemn and to chop others down. And all of this is fueled, James has already said, by their arrogance. And James says, this must stop, brothers and sisters. Who are you to judge your neighbor? We find this in other places in the Scripture as well, later in the New Testament. In the book of Romans, turn with me there, in fact, Romans chapter 14, Paul is addressing the church at Rome. This would have been after James's time. This is after James's letter, but he writes this, James, uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore do not, let us not, pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In essence, Paul is saying, worry about yourself a little more, Christian. Let the Lord be the judge. Jesus in Matthew 7, after he instructs his followers, again, not to judge, 
He says in verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Then we come back to our passage this morning, to our verses in James, and what's of main concern for James in this discussion of not judging one another? It's the law. What law? It's the law of love, the royal law that he spoke of in chapter 2, verse 8, love your neighbor as yourself. So James is saying, speaking of Speaking this way against others in the church violates the call to love. It usurps that law. It essentially stands over that law and judges that law to love to be insufficient. And so James says, be careful. Who are you to judge? Worry about yourself a little more. Because when you judge, you presume that you know all the facts, you presume that you understand all the context and all the circumstances, and you presume that you understand the motives of one's heart. So again, he's not calling us to not be discerning, but in that discernment, be very careful. Brothers and sisters, this is hard to do because We live in a culture that loves this kind of thing. There's a phrase, a crass term that was developed or introduced by a New York Times columnist. I've mentioned it to you before. It's called outrage porn. It's a term that describes the internet's ability and specifically the media's ability and social media's ability to get us fired up to get us angry, ready to argue, ready to cast judgment. One writer, he's not a Christian to my knowledge, he described this phenomenon and his own frustration with it by saying this, reading these things, speaking of this outrage porn, reading these things will disrupt your daily life. You could react in various ways, all of which ways destroy your day. You might get furious, you might spend half your afternoon crafting a particularly pointed and clever reply to that nasty blog post, or you might just let that disgusting tweet crawl under your skin for the rest of the day, creating a depression that trashes your productivity. Oddly enough, this cycle of fury, reaction, debate becomes addictive. Sometimes it's so addictive that you'll start to seek out articles, blog posts, or social posts that make you outraged just so you can launch into a vicious online debate with the writer and put them in their place. And another author adds this, we've all been not a Christian again. We've all been in indignant snits, self-righteous furies. You go into the bathroom during one of these snits and you look in the mirror and you have to admit, this feels great. I am so much smarter and better than my enemies and they are so wrong and I am so right. The world is acknowledging, oh, this This feels good. This strikes a chord. In our pride, it feels good to cast judgment over others. It feels good to stand over others. And of course, we always feel, we always feel that we're justified in doing it because ours is the cause of righteousness. But may I remind you of the story of Peter. Peter. 
one of Jesus' closest and most loyal followers. Jesus had predicted his death with his disciples. Remember this in our study of the book of Mark. He had told them that they will all scatter when the shepherd is struck, and Peter speaks up and says, not me, Lord. They all may ditch you, but I won't dare ditch you. Peter overestimated his weakness. His pride got in the way, and the Lord would humble him appropriately, appropriately, but the Lord would also show him extravagant grace. James says, in the church especially, brothers and sisters, we must strive for humble love. We must remember that we're not in charge. In my parenting, I've often had to remind one or more of my children eager to assist me in the training and instruction of their siblings, let me be the parent here. In the same way, James reminds us, let God be God. Let the Lord be the judge. You are called to humbly love. And what is love? Paul said to the Corinthian church, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on one's own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. And it bears all things, and it believes all things, and it hopes all things. It endures all things. Brothers and sisters, don't speak evil against one another. Don't slander one another. Let the Lord be the judge. And do this knowing that you have a judge who has loved you by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so in our evaluation of others, do slow down. (laughs) Do a self-check. Give others the benefit of of the doubt for the glory of his name. Let the Lord be the judge. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we, we confess, I confess that too easily and too often, I want to be in charge. I want to take it upon myself to set someone straight to exalt myself and my perceived righteousness over theirs and and their weakness. Oh, Father, forgive me. Forgive us. May we be a people of humble love. Yes, a people of discernment with our eyes wide open concerning that which which, which might disrupt and, and defame the name of Jesus. But may we be slow slow to speak, quick to love, quick to listen. Oh, Holy Spirit, take these words, use them in the lives of your people for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.